Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today, we have a really fun episode with longtime touring professional James Nitties. James made a name for himself on season eight of The Big Break and has remained an entertaining individual on social media, the mini tours, and even on the PGA Tour Live. James, a winner on the Corn Ferry and Australian Tour, has plenty of stories to share from his time in professional golf. So let's get into it with James Nitties. Welcome to the Four Jack Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the 4Jack Podcast, brought to you by our friends over at Jackson Labs, the brand consultants that we trust to get our brand going in the right direction. Brand consultants you should use to do the same, whether it be the beginning, the middle, the end, whatever you're doing with your brand, go check them out and ask for their help because they're going to help you out. Go check them out at jacksonlabs.com. That's J-A-X-O-N. Uh, it's also brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade Golf. Uh, the new lineup of Sim 2 Fairwoods, Drivers, Rescues, Irons, everything to get your game dialed in. So go check that out at TaylorMade Golf. Um, back at it today. First time in a while. Uh, we just want to thank everybody over the summer for listening. We had a bunch recorded for you, but now we are back in the full swing of things. Fun guest today, uh, but before we get to our guest, let's just say hello to the fellas. I'm going to toss it out east first. David, how are you, sir? I'm very good, boys. I'm pretty excited to be uh, on with our next guest, and uh, things are just rolling out here in Ontario. Doug got his way. Life is good. Golf courses are open. We're ready to go. Hashtag Doug's buddies. Doug's buddies. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys got your uh, cricket shipment? Just uh, touch on that real yeah, quick. Yeah, a little uh, show sponsor we forgot, we forgot to mention. Uh, yeah, getting some love from Cricket. Absolutely. Obviously played the uh, the first tournament back in a little while in the Cricket gear, and uh, the moisture wicking technology was definitely put to the test because it was hot as balls, as our next guest will allude to. Uh, but, uh, yeah, love the stuff. Mm-hmm. Combo, how you doing? There we go. Now we're back. Back in it. What's happening, gentlemen? Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to just kind of sitting back and listening to this next guest. Tell us some sweet nothings about golf, life, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Love it. Mm-hmm. And that guest today that Tom was referring to, touring professional, uh, big break contestant, and to be honest, when implemented, maybe one of the best stashes in the game right yes. now, Mr. James Nitties. How are you, bud? Hello, boys. Wow, what a uh, introduction. That was uh, pretty special. One of the best I've ever had out of my long podcast career. So good I'm to sure be you've here. had a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but the highlighting the stash was the, the cherry on hey, top. It's, it's, a, it's a feature piece. It absolutely has. I was flipping through some uh, photos online today, and there's some serious attention to that mustache. Maybe we want to talk about that first. Yeah, my mustache. Uh, yeah, I've uh, won the uh, inaugural mustache madness competition at the uh, utah event i think three out of four years my my triple crown was interrupted because one of the judges was acting like acting like an absolute pelican he said something about it you shouldn't shouldn't get awarded the trophy if you can grow a mustache quite easy so i was pretty angry i didn't get oh. it that third year in a row considering it took me about an hour in the mirror which is at least six minutes longer than every other every other day so 
Yeah, no, <laughs> one of the, one of the good ones. I think I one was the question mark. One was the monkey tail. Another one I called the motash because it was like a mustache into a mohawk. And then, the uh, yeah, how does that another even work? One. Yeah, you might need to describe yeah. that a little bit here for the listeners so they can get that picture in their head. Okay, so it starts obviously as a mustache, and then it goes around the mouth, down the chin, up one left, up one side of the face, behind your head, and then back over the top as a mohawk, and then obviously you saw, you shave all the sides and that. So let's just say I didn't go out in public much that week, but I won. I got my fifty dollar cheesecake factory gift card, so yes. that's, it's always worth it. Okay, then that's a good transition. There. Um, now, with that style of appearance, which I'm a fan of, I would like to see more of that, especially in the game. But let's move into if you were to take on a little more of a professional role with that look. I know you did some work with PGA Tour Live this year, kind of covering on you know with on the corn fair and doing that but like you know let's say we move even into radio or maybe we move you on to the broadcast i think that look should come with like kick out the brothers and bring that look and bring your energy i think that's what golf needs right Agreed. it yeah it really just depends who your boss is so <laughs> if it's if it's a-okay i mean or if you're the boss you can do whatever uh facial antics you would you would like so i uh I didn't. I wasn't. I was rocking the mustache when I did the PGA Tour Live and the Contrary Tour Live, so it was quite subdued. But yeah, I'm I'm ready to roll with a with a crazy uh, facial design any day of the week. <laughs> now, before we get into your playing career and obviously big break, I I really do want to touch on your time doing PGA Tour Live and and covering the Corn Ferry as well. But like, what was that experience like for you and? Is that something maybe later in your career that you'd be more interested in? Because obviously that's a big talk right now in the, you know, whatever you want. Broadcast arena. Yeah, like the the golf adjacent space where people are like, look, we need a new voice in there. And are we pumped up about the Immelman Brothers? I don't know. Not really. But like maybe a guy like yourself would bring that energy to the viewing experience. Is Is that something that you would pursue later? Yeah, definitely. Um, I loved it. I thought it was uh, it was awesome, and so I did a little bit of a spot with the PGA Tour live crew, and um, I think I did it with uh, Paul Stankowski and Craig Perks just for like a fifteen minute stint. Um, and they're they're good. Like it's a really good platform, especially for people that want to, you know, just watch a bit of golf on a Friday morning and you know not pay crazy golf channel fees or whatever, and you can just sort of subscribe and but they're kind of, their hands are kind of tied too because they're so like handcuffed to the the pga tour they mm-hmm. you know they can't really say crazy stuff so um what i did for a couple of days they're trying to maybe launch a new platform to cover the corn ferry tour so it'd be essentially it'd be very similar so pga tour live but you'd just see the corn ferry event there as well and i'm not sure like this um, it'll be cheaper to subscribe or it comes along with pga tour live and um, Alex Baldwin, she's the kind of the president of the Corn Ferry Tour right now. She was like, look, we're trying to get this off the ground. It'll be great. And I was like, well, what do you want to be like? Do you want to be a normal, boring broadcaster and just try to sound good and say the right things? And she's like, no, not at all. We would like to do something that's a bit more 
um, entertaining, I suppose. She's like, don't be stupid, but just be yourself and bring your own personality. So, look, if that got picked up, I would love – that would be my type of deal. I'd love to go out there and, you know, make some jokes. And I know a lot of the guys on the Corn Ferry Tour and play a lot of mini tour stuff with all those guys. So, I've got some stories and I could kind of shake it up a little bit. So, for me – Look, I want to play golf forever, but it's kind of expensive, especially when yeah. you're kicking around the mini tours for the last five years. So I'd definitely love to do something like that on the side. I, I'm interested in it. I, I enjoy it. So it'd be cool, I think. Well, I think it's good too. I mean, as we've seen with, say, Colt Nost even jumping on, a guy that knows the players, played on tour. But, like, he knew that, you know, a life on tour wasn't for him, but he's really good at covering it. And guys obviously appreciate him because he kind of makes it sound – little bit like a podcast or it's entertaining and and i don't know if you listen to we obviously just had the open i don't know if you listen to open radio at all but like that was awesome those guys were freaking hilarious nothing held back yeah like, a little more cheeky than the guys in the u.s <laughs> they were ripping each other and like going at players i'm like yes i'm like i almost wanted to just turn on volume off on the tv and listen to open radio yeah so true like I was so nervous before I did the actual um, broadcast because it was me and another guy, Brian Catrick, and he was he was really good. He was awesome. He, me and him joked around the whole time. We ripped each other. Um, it was more of a, like, I try, it's hard doing it because I was nervous and I didn't want to mess up. But you also, sometimes you don't know what your target market is. So it's like, do I make jokes because my boys are listening or do I try to sound good for the more elderly crowd that's watching their, you know, family members play. So I think it'd be pretty cool to, you know, Colt's really good, kind of pokes fun at himself, but also sounds like he's one of the boys and knows the players. Yeah. And then like even NFL, I think this year are going to try something different. I, I, you know, I hate to segue over to this, but it's like, I think uh, Eli and, um, Peyton are going to call NFL games like on their couch and it's going to be like a broadcast just with them just outside of any major network so you know that'd be funny so bringing that kind of energy to something I think would be cool without making it too cheesy or trying to push too many jokes or whatever but yeah I, I think like what you said exactly that'd be it'd be a great way to you know kind of get more people interested in more of a fun atmosphere while watching golf, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I know Jeremy Roenick was trying to get something going like that for the NHL, where he was basically doing a call, like, essentially, like, R-rated viewing. Like, it was like, hey, like, this is uncensored. Like, what we're just sitting, yeah, probably, like, on his couch or at his desk, like, watching a game and literally just going hard. Didn't he run into some issues with the ball or something? Yeah, that happened on Chicklets, but that was such a joke. Like, that was a, a throwaway comment that got blown out of proportion. A guy ends up losing his job, which... Yeah, fair enough. Cancel like, culture 2021, 2022 <laughs> coming at you live in person, unfortunately. Hey, it's part of the gig, right? I remember when a young podcast in the golf world tried to do something like that when we were at, uh, when you were living at Dan Pingle's house and we, we decided we were going to try and do a Twitch stream while oh, watching yeah. the golf. That was a bit of a hectic one, but like, it's, it's exactly that. Like, you just, if there were more places you could kind of jump in and find your vibe of like, okay, this is the commentary I'm looking for. Like, that's what it's all about, right? Like, it'll be interesting to keep our eyes on that Eli Manning, Peyton Manning thing, just to like see how that starts to like affect other areas of life where it's like, watch the golf, listen to the open radio, mute your TV. <laughs> 
Oh, and I think yeah. the NFL is trying to do, sorry to jump in, but I think the NFL is trying to do some stuff with Twitch. I know they, you know, implemented the Las Vegas stadium. They have a Twitch lounge and all that stuff. And I think they're going to get kind of give an open, not maybe open mic, but I think they're going to give the ability for people to do overlay content and things like that. And I think on the PGA tour side, you definitely seen people like Mentory try to do it and other people do overlay and they're just, they're very conservative of their players and, obviously their brand, right? So I think if the NFL goes, then you'll probably see the trickle-down effect, and I'd probably think the PGA Tour might be one of the last ones to do it. But at the same time, I think they're trying to innovate. I think, you know, when you see Bryson or someone like that on Twitch, you see the numbers are there to kind of qualify. And, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see how the PGA Tour handles social media, well, obviously with their new incentives and all that. And I think the broadcasters, you know, play a big part of that. And I think having sort of a younger demographic looking at, you know, the players at a different light and trying to promote the game through different angles. I think what you're doing and some of the things just trying to have fun and not take the game so seriously. I think the new generation of players definitely, you know, want to have that, that interaction. And then the old stuffy golfer that's turning four to six for the three M, you know, may not be there. So <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. us. Oh, so anyways, you get me on that one. James, you kind of touched on it. You have been playing mini tours for a while. You had a good run, Corn Ferry PGA Tour. Why don't you just talk to us about the last couple of years coming off the highlight reel sort of on the PGA Tour and what, what that grind's been like trying to get back to the show? Oh, yeah, it's been brutal, actually. Um, <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> well, in saying that, look, I, I love my life and I, you know, I enjoy playing golf. I love competing. So, yeah, going – Coming off the PGA Tour, and then I, I kind of finished my first year off the PGA Tour was Corn Ferry Tour, and I finished 26 that year. So, in layman's terms, it's top 25 graduate back to the PGA Tour. So that was kind of rough. But then, then I spent about four years on the Corn Ferry Tour, and just I don't know, I got a little bit stale out there, as you can. Like it's just totally different to the PGA Tour. Like Corn Ferry is, it's like a Back then, it's kind of a glorified mini tour. You know, you're playing for, you make the cut, you 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 barely cover expenses if you don't finish in the top thirty, top twenty. Um, it's a great tour, but then there's so many experienced golfers out there. You play easier golf courses, so everyone plays well. What you see on the Corn Ferry Tour every every week is everyone's bunched. So usually there's a guy that wins, and then there's like five or six guys one shot behind him then there'll be 10 guys behind that so you know you you lead you lead a corn ferry tour event and shoot one under the last day and you finish like 20th so it's like it's very bunched because the courses are that easy where you know like obviously the easier the golf course you're going to get a lot more guys play well there's no like field separation instead of like you'll see like a really tough golf course on the pga tour There'll be a cup, one guy at the top, then two tied for second, then it really breaks off and top ten will be like five shots behind. So it's um it's a little different in that retrospect. So I kind of got a little stale. That's my bad, you know. Like I've at that point I've been pro for 10 years or whatever, and I'm playing corn for each tour, the same courses every week, and knowing I have to shoot six under to make the cut every week. And, you know, it's a little different to how I was when I first turned pro and I was hungry where you've got this new sort of revolving door of young kids coming out and they're hungry in that. So I, that was my bad. I probably, you know, I never took it for granted and I always tried, 
but it sometimes you you know I was probably going through the motions a bit and then lost my card um, in like 2015 and yeah so just been since then doing mini tour events and I think right now I'm I'm more hungry to get back to the corn ferry tour than I ever was when I played on it so it's um yeah it's when i say it's brutal it's not because i look i love even the mini tours i love competing but it's still you know it's just it's kind of a money thing now like golf golf's one of those things that made me rich and poor at the same time so (laughs) you know some people would tell me i should have given it away two or three years ago and gone and got a normal job or something but i was like I've still got status on the Corn Ferry Tour and this is my last year with status. It's not good enough status to get any into any events, but that's, I suppose, what's kept me around and chasing it. And, you know, I'll, I'll end it with this. It's I would have given it away ages ago if I was, you know, if I couldn't hit the side of a barn door, but I'm still missing Monday qualifiers by, you know, shooting four, five, six under and missing qualifiers by a shot every week and, and then playing tour events and shooting 15 under uh, mini tour events shooting like I'm not shooting like 75 every week so it's just that it's so competitive now and there's so many good players and I can't really rest on how good I was when I was on the PGA Tour because I'm just a totally different player now so it's like one of those things where you can get a little complacent they're like well man I'm I'm so I used to be so good and I used to be competing for PGA Tour events and now I'm like struggling to make cuts on the mini tour events even though I you know know that i'm good enough it's just like it's a it's kind of a mental battle i suppose the only thing that i've been dealing with but yeah i still love it i love being in contention um i like practicing now like i never used to so yeah it's uh that's kind of where i am now i'm kind of playing playing some mini tour events with a budget and then uh yeah now i've got q school coming up at the end of uh september and hopefully get through that so no guaranteed starts, but you do have alternate status for Corn Ferry events, or what? What does that look like? If you still have status, do you get a call up, or that just? Yeah, so I um I have past champions category, so I ah. won ten years ago. So let's just say I Monday qualified into an event and made a cut, then I would re rank with all the Q school guys, and then I would get more starts that way. Perfect, but unfortunately i haven't mondayed in for like three years i think i've missed i've missed maybe 20 events by a shot so it's just it's like a it's a mental thing with me like i get around like last week i was four under with three to play and i'm like all right if i can just get a birdie coming home and you know obviously i make a bogey and five under gets in the tournament so it's like that thing with me it's all mental it's like i can get to a certain point but then i put way too much pressure on myself so when i was a kid it's kind of more reactive. You're like, oh, of course I'm going to birdie one. You know, like a, it's a little different. Like there's no excuses, but it's just, it's a totally different outlook thinking than what I used to when I was like playing my best golf. So yeah, it's different when you so, don't have fear anymore, right? Yeah. So yeah. Do the, you think the, oh. <laughs> <laughs> do you think the process, like, you know, just looking at your Wikipedia, like I saw that you went on Hooters in 06. And I think like looking back, you know, I was hanging around at that time and, I think the process to get back to the PGA Tour is just so – it's a three-year process in many ways. Do you think, you know, back in the day, if you got on a hot streak, you played a Hooters event, you Mondayed, you might get in a PGA Tour event, you might get on a nationwide tour event. Like, you know, the process is kind of, you know, 
a lot more complicated or do you think it actually benefits the players? Like I think back in the day, like if you went on three, four months of you know, good golf, you're pretty much on the PGA tour. You may not only be out there for a year, but do you think the sustainability and what they try to implement has hurt players or do you think it's something that you know, going back, you know, early two thousands where you could kind of chase it a little bit. If you got a hot streak, you could be on the PGA tour pretty rapidly. Yeah, you're exactly right in what you were saying. Like, I think when I when I first turned pro and I came to America and I was playing Hooters tour, I think I Monday my first year over here I Monday for uh, six uh, Nike tour events or Web.com events out of like ten. And um, but back then, obviously, it wasn't as competitive. Um, fields are way deeper now. But back then, and then you were playing for fourteen starts, so. To put that in perspective, now it's two courses with 120 kids at each course and you're playing for four spots at each course. And, you know, so back in the day you could shoot. I, I got in some events with four or five under. Um, and then also back in the day you could get through Q School straight onto the PGA Tour. Now I think it's the system's a little broken. Like I do love... Um, how it supports the players. They've got like a playoff event where you can get your card back that way through four events at the end. Um, and then the the guys that have lost their card on the PGA Tour drop down to the Corn Ferry Tour playoffs as well. Um, I think that's good. But in saying that, Q School right now, you go through three stages. You get, so it's it's 5,200. You enter first stage or pre, pre-qualifying if, you, if you're not exempt into first stage. Then you go, you've got a, you know, out of 110 guys at every site, which I think there's like about 12 sites around America. Then you've got a top 15 to get through a second stage. Then there's eight sites and with about 100 guys and you, there's like 15 spots at each of those. Then you get through to final stage. And this is where I think they've messed it up a little bit. Final stage is like 240 dudes, um, 40, 45 guys get their card. And then... You know, back in the day when I went through qualifying school, if you finished 70th, you'd still get a full Corn Ferry Tour card. Or 100th, or even last at final stage, you would get five or six starts at um, on the Corn Ferry Tour. Now, you go through three stages, which is so hard to do. It's like it's playing really good golf. Now you get to final stage and you don't – like I know a kid that finished 55th and he's had two starts. Like – it's, what? It's yeah, like so. I had a couple of buddies come from Australia and play on the, um, you know, get through to f- three stages, finish like a hundredth, like just not play great at finals, not even sn- sniff a start for the whole year. He's like, dude, I've just paid fifty two hundred bucks. I've gone through three stages, and I'm not getting a start all year. Like it's, it's that's where I, they need to protect their members a little bit more if you make it through to final stage. Because look, you go to European Tour, um, European Tour. Pure school, you get through to final stage. You miss your main tour card there. I had a buddy that missed his main tour card two years ago by two shots. He tripled the last, missed by two. He got 12 starts on the main tour. He didn't even get his main tour card. But because it slid at Q school, he, like now, they, you know, they weren't great events. He'd get told on Tuesday or Wednesday he's got to fly to Portugal or, you know, whatever. But still 12 main tour tour starts. And then you got guys over here that are getting through to finals and not even like getting a start for the whole year. It's, I think the system's broken that way. And the, the problem is you're losing 
so many like so many international players are just like well i'm not going to go to cornbury q school and then which is you know no one cares like because they're just got another hundred guys that are just going to fill those spots because there's so many good players in america but, I but think it, that starts it, from the top yeah. though. that starts from the top because you look at the pga tour they're protecting their players so much you look outside of the top 50 those should be volatile spots you shouldn't be able to mm-hmm. hold that to one fifty to one twenty five. Like those should be rotating. You're talking about the corn fairy and the top twenty five guys. Like they're all great players. You're top mm-hmm. fifteen on the corn fairy. You could get on a hot streak on the PGA tour and be a top fifty pretty quick. Like they need to stop protecting those spots. Like I don't want to watch JJ Henry or William McGirt anymore. Get those guys out of here. Like, come on, man. Like there's hot players on on the corn fairy that should be rotating in and out. Who and like Tony rot- Romo? Don't even get me fucking started on Roma. <laughs> Fuck that guy. And like, and it's but it's like the corn fairy should be rotating as well. Let, let let the Q school options flow through so you can get more players. And like you're saying, these international players, you know, we good players are playing on the Sunshine Tour that won't even get a sniff of the corn fairy. Come on, man. Like, and and European European tour is great, but we're not seeing any of those guys unless you're one of these freaking manipulators that you can find your way in, play these dodgy events. But like, I don't know, man. Like. <laughs> I, it starts from the top, and they got to rework a bunch. The PGA Tour is protecting these guys way too long. So, what is it going to take, James? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, because so they're making so much money at the top, and totally. that's one of the what guys it is. Cash grab. They get on one twenty-fifth, the and they're good. It's like someone someone told me the other day there should be around four tiers, and I was like, oh, how do you how do you yes. say? And we're like, the elite players play like fifteen events a year, and they're like the elite events. Then you've got everyone else, like you said, the JJ Henry, the guys that have their cards playing like this second tour where they're playing for like two million a week or whatever. And then it goes down to like Corn Ferry, where you got these guys playing for a million a week. And then it, even the fourth stage, which I do not know how they don't have a domestic tour in America. Like I'm playing these mini tours, and there's guys on these mini tours that easily are going to win on Corn Ferry. Like I'm playing with the guys, I'm like, dude, you're going to win on the Corn Ferry next year. You just got to get on. And so they need like, but then they're sending guys to China, to uh, Canada, to um, Latin, to Latin America, America. Latin America. Yeah. and I'm yeah. like, you've got, you've got these mini tour events are selling out every week. There's like, there's waiting lists because there's so many Americans that are playing mini tours effectively for nothing, just to play for for money. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how? I do not know how this tour does it. Like, one a base mini tour in America doesn't at least have five spots to the Corn Ferry Tour either. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, there should be, you're exactly right. There needs to be four or five tiers, four tiers. It can rotate at any time. Like, if you come from bottom tier and then you get into a bigger event, you have a top three or whatever, and you're bam, you know, all right, I'm on a bit of a roll or something. But look, it's easy to solve the world's problems from my bed right here. Oh, but sure. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, man. Do, I, don't, I don't know how they would do it, but it's a gr- it needs to be done. Well, like, it's it's a broken system. Prime example of how broken it is. Will Zalatoris still doesn't have a tour card. Like, yeah. Yeah, come exactly. on, man. He's the, one of the hottest 100%. players on tour all year. Nicest putting <laughs> yeah. stroke on tour That's from a foot out. Yippee, yippee stroke. <laughs> we don't want to talk about his but it, terrible Again, stroke. It, <laughs> to add to this, though, it took so long for even... PGA Tour Canada taking over the Canadian Tour to implement that, you know, five spots graduation piece. But there, ne- there definitely needs to be more of that. These developmental tours need to have access, need to have relationships and that transparent communication with, hey, we want to grow the game. We want to develop these guys. Let's give them an opportunity on the bigger platforms. 
And that's great. Have have those three tours. But currently, because there's no domestic tour in America, all the guys that are coming out of China, the China tour, the Canadian tour, and the Latin American tour, they're, they're Americans anyway. They're just yeah. guys that are like, well, I'm going to go chase that tour for the year and I'm going to go chase that tour for the year. You know, like it's – I understand there's like a couple guys here and there that, you know, like – but if you had a domestic tour in America, it would – it would stop all those Americans traveling. Mostly, you would get local good players coming out of those countries as well. So it'd be it'd make it more diverse, and you know you'd get more Australians going to China and more Chinese players coming out of China as well. You'd get like so if you if you it would help. Like it, it, you've got the players. It's it's not hard to find another five spots, and then and then Q school needs to be. You know, if you get through three, four, uh, three rounds at Q school, three stages at Q school, you've got to be protected to get, at least get a couple starts, no matter how you play. Yeah, I mean, you played so good to get there. That's and it's a just, big deal. Like that's that's yeah. a huge deal. I guess the form tour would be the first potential iteration of what they could sort of go through in the U.S. because they're currently doing mm-hmm. that for the guys that you know, for the Canadian tour players and and stuff like that that didn't get the starts because of COVID. They're they're doing this preliminary sort of tour happening right now but yeah i agree 100 percent. there should be something a little more domestic there's been like those regional mini tour you know platforms but nothing's really had any but i guess australia validity. has their own tour so like yeah. why wouldn't the u.s have it right no well, we kind of do ours has been decimated yes <laughs> Just barely have australasia any. tour now but still like there was at one point an australian tour and you're like oh of course you're gonna have and that. we're speaking to a winner yeah from exactly the, from the australian tour yeah, un- unfortunately, the reason we had a good Australian tour is because they would, the government would pay a lot of the big players to come and play three or four events at the end of the year, and then we would just create buzz through those four events. But yeah, it, or when Norman Norman would actually go back and play in Australia back in the day, like now, you, you, you all your Australian players are controlled by their agent, unless they're going to get two or three million, you, you can't get the Jason Days or you can't get the well, Adam Scott's been really good. He he goes back a lot, but uh, Cam plays. Yeah, it's though, kind too. of plays too. Yeah, Cam goes back. I mean, he's just he'll he's goes back and plays. He would play for a coke and a burger. But, <laughs> he's uh, a legend. He's my favorite. Yeah, he's yeah. Cam's awesome. Him and Leishman, like I mean, yeah. they're just if you're going to epitomize Aussie guys and on the tour and everyone. You know, they're, they're my guys have been like, oh, they're the best blokes out there for sure. So, could you not but, put uh, Cam Smith in the middle of a job site with like some high vis on? Like, he'd fit right in. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, for sure. <laughs> some short, short shorts, a pair of footy shorts, some, some fucking steel toes. Like, he'd look did perfect. Did, did set a tradie in another yeah. life, that's for sure. <laughs> I said he was a brickie. He looks just like some brickies <laughs> I worked with. Leash is just a guy hanging out at the pub every day. Sitting at the end of the wood. Telling stories about the things that he used to do. Yeah, mow his grass. <laughs> I mean, he's got a missus, but he's probably, I mean, I'm sure if he was at the bar and it's, oh, what do you do? I play on the PGA Tour. No chance you yes. play on the PGA Tour. <laughs> you cut lines. Yeah. Try to con- convince a girl that he's on tour. She wouldn't believe him. That's I love so that. Funny. Oh, my God. Okay, well, let's go back in time a little bit. Let's Before we go way, way back, but I, I want to talk about Big Break. Because like you were kind of like in, that was like the heyday, the golden time era of it, when it was like actually like yeah. buzzing. It was the shit. For, like there was a good time. I was like, man, I do not miss Big Break. I loved it. What season were you on? 
Uh, I was on, I think seven season seven. It was big break mesquite, and uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I didn't even know what the big break was when I came to America. I was just playing a mini tour event. I, there was some sort of audition on the range, and I, I walk up and I'm like, "What? What's your show?" And they're like, "Oh, it's a reality TV show." you know, big break. And I was like, well, cool. Can I audition? They're like, yeah, sweet. So, you know, you did like a 10 minute interview with the guy on the range and I, I fluffed it up massively. I said that I was, you know, like if you want to increase your female viewers by 99%, you put me on. <laughs> and then I was like, I got a great record, blah, blah, blah. And then I got a couple of callbacks and I got on the show and, um, yeah, we had a great crew. We had, uh, Matt Every was on our show. Brian Contact, who was winning everything Contact, on mini yeah. tours. You had uh, Hiroshi Matsu, who had played a couple US Opens and played, you know, Nike Tour. Uh, Anthony Rodriguez had a year on the PGA Tour. So we had like about six, seven really good golfers. And then we had a, a solid amount of personalities. And which I personally, I thought like, my season and then maybe one or two seasons afterwards it was really good and then it <clears throat> started to go a bit downhill when they started just putting all good like mini tour players on and the problem with that is it's like these guys that it, it's serious for them they're trying to make cash and they've got no personality so it's just basically watching a mini tour event and guys pretty much say nothing so i think and what I've been told in the past, like people are like, oh, yeah, this is a great show. And I'm like, yeah, because ours was perfect. We had enough good players and enough guys that thought they were really good and then enough guys that were just hilarious but just there for fun. So, uh, yeah, I had, I had a great time. I think we <laughs> we were all staying by ourselves. So, um, oh, by the way, let me know if you can't hear me. I think my headphones might drop out. No, that's, but That's our side. Yeah, so we had 12 dudes staying by ourselves at the casino. Um, oh, God. I think a bad one idea. Of the, <laughs> the produ- I think Matt Every lost like – so he'd been pro for maybe a year and he'd lost – one of the nights he lost like 12 grand at the casino. And I'm just like – I was I was breathe- like living on fumes over there. And when I turned up, it was like, mate, I can't lose a hundred bucks and you're losing 12 grand. He's like, yeah, whatever, you know, just um, I'm going to make it back when I get on tour, which he did. And then we had other guys like contact and, um, Rodriguez had massive blowups on the show, which was great. Um, you know, the producer sat us down in a big room and he's like, look guys, we're going to, we're going to portray a hero. We're going to portray an underdog and we're going to portray it like a villain. So, just let it play out. You act like you want to act. And so they didn't really, like whoever was, all the people that were the personalities on show were. Like I was kind of the guy that told it how I saw it. Contact was the hilarious guy that would just talk shit all the time. And then, and Rodriguez was the villain. And he kind of, because he kind of said a lot of stuff on camera. He was fine off camera, but on camera he wanted to be that, you know, that guy that was kind of, cocky and thought he was really good and then off camera he was a really nice guy and i'm like dude you, you're killing yourself here <laughs> and then um so it kind of panned out that way and those two had massive blow-ups and uh but it was it was pretty funny the producer told us one day there's two things one day the producer was like guys 
can you talk more about golf? Like, because we would sit there and just talk. Like, I think for like a 10 minute session, we were talking about what sort of bathroom uh, exposes we had that morning, if you know what I mean. Like, they're just like, guys, can you talk to like, talk about golf? And then another day, the one of the guys, the, uh, the finance dude was like, can you guys stop ordering porn? Like, on the. <laughs> In the hotel. I mean, you've got all these guys. Two oh, of us man. were single, I think. And then the rest were like married dudes living by themselves for a week, two weeks. And, yeah, guys were like, oh, yeah, I just put it on 24 hours. It's free, so why wouldn't I do it? You know, <laughs> like I don't even watch it half the time. And I'm like, Matt Every was ordering like two dinners and just telling them, yeah, someone was turning up. And it was, you know, we were, we were loving life because we were a bunch of kids that were getting free stuff all week. So Were they feeding was, you booze uh, on, like, when you weren't on camera, like other uh, reality shows? Just to spice things up? Not on, no, not, we, we were allowed to. We were allowed to drink. But nice. It was, like, we were in Vegas, and one day we filmed two episodes. So we're up at 4 a.m. We filmed two episodes in a day, and we finished it two o'clock in the afternoon so that's how long it takes episode probably took about four or five hours it's a lot of sitting around waiting for people to hit shots like it was 126 one of the one of the days out there so like it was that hot no one was drinking we were all wrecked because you film all day then you go back you have a shower you get into makeup you do the breakdown of every episode you don't get done till like four or five in the afternoon Everyone is just wrecked. And then you just like, oh, go to bed and you're up at four again the next day. So it was a couple of the boys were knocking back so much booze. Like it was <laughs> ridiculous. I think it was Ke- Kevin and Contact were both knocking back heaps of cartons of beer. And I was like having a couple beers and that. But I was like, when I got eliminated, I actually would have, I went out and partied a little bit. And, but, um, yeah, so it was pretty cool like that. But it wasn't like a party because it was a lot of work. Like we were filming episodes every single day and like a couple back-to-backs. And so we were just wrecked every day. So if you party, you're just like done. So we see like we see the shots and it flows nice on the episode. But really, what's it like behind the scenes? Like are you just getting iced? You got to get up and hit a 60-yard field shot, but you've been sitting there for three hours just shooting the shit with your buddy. And like, do you have an opportunity to range in between that, or what's that like? Not really, no. Like, we, I think the first episode was the nearest to pin from two sixty five. So it's uh, we all draw balls, like so they have numbers on. You throw your ball in the thing, and you pull it, pull it out. So I like, I think I drew like nine. So I had to wait like nine guys before me. I think it was like an, nearly an hour before I hit like a three wood, and because <sighs> we're on. You know, like on you can't go to the range because we're like sometimes we'll be over the other side of the golf course filming on a certain hole, so we're all just kind of sitting around talking crap and yeah. Then you got to get up and you just you're shitting yourself. Like you're so nervous. There's no other nerves I've ever felt in my whole life. And you know, I'd played some big events back then before that show, and I was like, it's a different kind of nerves. It's like it's it's one you don't want to mess up and cop shit from your boys. And then two, you don't want to get eliminated. So it's like these, these, and three, you haven't worked your way into like a routine of playing like golf for the past three or four holes. So it was, it's pretty crazy like that. You're waiting so long and then you're, you're scared because you're like, I just don't want to mess up. And yeah, so there was a lot of gaps 
yeah, in between filming like that, waiting for your turn. There's got to be a lot. I would imagine there's got to be a lot of wild shots we didn't see on camera. Guys just sniping it out of out of town. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there was like I mean, one episode, Jerry, the guy that actually eliminated me, he was a long drive expert. He hit it probably 200 yards wide on one hole, <laughs> and of, no joke. And of course, he found it on top of a mountain. He's like scaling this mountain made par or whatever found it here it is yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah weren't you playing so. a titleist <laughs> but how bad yeah. would that be you get ice for like two and a half hours you yeah he roped this three wood Pardon yeah here. three wood yeah give me a wedge <laughs> oh, i know i don't know what's worse probably i'll probably take a three wood over a wedge after an hour it's just no hosel more club face yeah it's a lot make a full swing not have to feel yeah. something out there should we time so, travel a little bit here yeah go for it James, why don't you take us all the way back to when you were a wee lad and you got your introduction to golf. Who was instrumental in your introduction to golf and what was the first few years of that look like? And where were we playing? Oh, yeah, he wants to oh, dying. He's dying for nice. Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Royal Charlestown, sunny, sunny Cardiff in New, Newcastle, New South Wales, about two hours north of Sydney. Uh, just typical, typical kid sort of life. Played all the sports, played soccer for about six years then played basketball for a year cricket for two years and then my old man took me out to play golf once and he was like a hacker like a 24 handicap couple beers around kind of golfer um and yeah he took me out there and i just became obsessed and played with my play with my dennis lucy 100 year old blades i think they're like 20 pounds each club but uh yeah, just then, I don't know, I think I was around about the age of 12 and started to get into it seriously, shot under par when I was like 14 for the first time and got on the state teams and, yeah, national squad when I was like 18, 19 and turned pro when I was 22. So kind of the typical kid sort of introduction to golf, just absolutely loved it. Spent all day up there. I remember my dad, my mum would drop me off after school and then my dad would come up and have a couple beers and there'd be this floodlight that would sit on the putting green and he would love it because he'd have three or four beers and in the clubhouse he could just see me on the putting green and I'd just putt till it was dark and, you know, other kids having chipping comps, play for meat pies and all that sort of stuff. And, love yeah, that. we're, that's a thing for a lot of parents back then. The golf course is like a kid's club or a, a daycare. Oh, it's my mom did that just, 100%. Lived that myself, yeah. yeah. Same thing. Yeah, I mean, one day I'd played 47 holes or something. It was nothing. I didn't even want to leave. So, you know, just... Uh, Can you imagine doing that was. now? You'd never leave your... You wouldn't leave your bed? The hospital for a week playing 47 holes in yeah, one day. I got hangovers after 18 holes. Like, I feel like I'd fucking ran a marathon. That's the booze, days. though, typically. No, man. Even just playing. I play 12 holes and I wake up sore the next day. It's because you're old. Dude, I... I need momentum to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Just got to get one of those electric beds. Yeah. Stand you up so you can get it walking. That's Where's my good. breakfast, Barbara? This is back when I, back about six vertebrae ago, so... <laughs> there you so, go. Guy's you know. just the grandpa from Willy Wonka right now, just <laughs> operating from the bed. Living that zombie lifestyle. What was uh, what was the deciding oh. factor when you, when you kind of knew you were going to pursue the, the pro angle? 
Um, was it a young thing? Was it like, hey, I'm 18, I'm playing real good, maybe this is something I could do? Or were you like, man, this is what I want to do from day one? Yeah, I was when I was young, I, I realized when I sort of got picked for the, um, you know, the, I started doing well at like age 14, 15 and started, I was playing like one for, you know, like penance back then or doing a lot of stuff where I like get in the junior squad. So yeah, early age, I was, I was pretty, like I was obsessed with it. I didn't want to do anything else. And I suppose like a lot of kids do when they want, want to play sports, but I knew the, when I became addicted to golf and then all the other sports kind of didn't matter that that's what I wanted to do when I grew older. And obviously you don't know how good you are, but when I started getting selected and you know, that's when parents were like, all right, looks like we're, driving you around the country and spending money to, you know, try and get you into teams. And, and I think that's probably the, yeah, 15, 16, I knew I wanted to definitely, I think I was a plus four or three when I was 16. So I was like, and my course is pretty easy. It wasn't, Charles Sam wasn't hard, but yeah, I definitely knew that was, that wanted to be the, uh, the path when I got older. So you mentioned some of your, you know, team golf and national golf, I'm going to throw it back to some of the guys I sort of chummed with back in the day. And, you know, like, would that have been like the era of like Andrew Buckle, you and Porter, like Leishman, Jared, you know, would that have been team golf at that time? Or, you know, walk me through Australian sort of team golf in your 15, 16, 17. Cause you now those guys obviously came over you know, pretty young, like, you know, and played, you know, turn pro 18, 19, but, were those guys all sort of around or were they already sort of doing the AJGA stuff and moved over here? Like were any of those names kind of, you know? Yeah, you, um, you hit it the nail on the head. The guys I started playing with and competing with were my like age group were Buckle, Andrew Buckle, who was by far one, a prodigy. He was one of the best golf, golfers I'd ever seen as a 16 year old. I, uh, that kid, oh my God, he was, he could to, do stuff back then that no one else I played with could, you know. And then you got uh, Michael Sim was another one who played a couple of years on tour, you know, had to pull out of the Masters because he had an injury. Um, then you've got Leishman, uh, Stephen Bowditch, uh, Aaron Price, Jared Lyle. Um, so I think when I represented Australia at the uh, Eisenhower Trophy, it was me, Michael Sim, um and Jared Lyle and Mark Leishman. That was that was our team. So yeah, you've all those guys were pretty much the guys I were on the, you know, same age group and grew up competing right. with. Yeah, it's funny you say Andrew Buckle. I got to know him. He was probably around nineteen twenty and same thing you talk about, you know, he's kinda of like a Scottsdale legend. You know, you'd see him at McCormick and he just could hit the golf ball better than everyone else and you know, didn't really He's still kicking around, but at the same time, you know, at that young age, it's kind of interesting. You, you mentioned the yeah, word prodigy. You know. It's crazy. Him and um, him and Bowd- Stephen Bowditch, two, those two guys, both from Queensland, we both okay. comp- competed a lot against those two. Um, they were the two that I thought would have won multiple times. On, well, they had. Bowditch won twice, but Bowditch, the short game, the shot making, and then and then Buckle just is how good he was and how developed he was at such a young age. And then you've got a guy like Leishman. Um, Leishman was like a really good amateur golfer, but he was never like in the top five of like anyone in the team. Like he was the guy that's come the furthest, was like always a really good player. But, you know, to do what he's done is, you know, he, he just 
it's his game is pretty much like his personality. It's just so laid back Flat and line. comfortable and just does everything well. So yeah, that's that that's pretty much the crew. Did you ever did you chum oh, did you did you chum with you and Porter? Do you guys still do anything? I know he's doing similar stuff to sounds like what you're doing. Um he's doing some PJ tour or European tour stuff, broadcasting. Yeah. Do you guys yeah, ever cross paths or yeah, I grew up I played a lot of golf and uh with yeah, you and Porter and Aaron Price, both those guys from Sydney. Um yeah, we cross paths a bit. Um he's but he's just over the other side of the you know, over the world. But we played a lot of representative New South Wales golf together, stayed with him a lot, stayed with his family a lot. Uh, yeah, so he's doing he's really good with facts, Porter. So he him getting into the career path that he is right now is uh it it was made to be, I think. So um, yeah. yeah, but I haven't seen him. I saw him about a year ago at the New Zealand Open. He was doing a bit of commentary. I just got rid of my uh, McKent hybrid for my TaylorMade. So uh, <laughs> throwback 2008, you and Porter was kind of the poster oh child. God. So that's the but, oh, he uh, was. He was. <laughs> tell me you had. Uh, tell me you old. had a set of Cleveland Vows irons too. Oh, no, gosh. don't cut those. <laughs> Did those you, dude? I, I used the I used the McKent driver my first year on tour. So good, wow. so good. PGA Tour. Oh my god! <laughs> I, like when I say I literally got rid of this hybrid, like it's it's in two pieces right now. But it's I've used it the last twelve years from two thousand eight. Has no paint on the top. Yeah, the thing was just so good. Case is probably so, so thin now. It's just completely illegal. Just a rocket. Nikent <laughs> just Nikent went broke because they paid so many guys before they even made any money so <laughs> then they then they couldn't pay half of them it was crazy yeah james did you notice when you were growing up like a lot of like in your junior golf did you notice a big difference in the players between say new south wales guys or queen's guys to guys down south like the melbourne boys like the guys that came from the sand belt like the style of play that they would play down there like how much different was that compared to you because i remember playing in new south wales and i'm like oh this is like home but it's just like different kind of turf it's a little bit firmer but obviously farther south a little firmer a lot firmer yeah it was i mean obviously back like interstate series was the greatest thing ever it was um it was it was the closest thing to college golf for us in australia and um you know so you'd have this big event every year where every state would have their top five guys and a couple reserves battle it out against every other state and it was this whole week where you do round robin you'd play like a best like a Ryder cup effectively but you know every state would play each other so you had you know usually the favorites would be you know new south wales and queensland i mean obviously wa were always really good and victoria were pretty good too but so it was all it always came down to kind of new south wales and queensland and and Queensland were always known to be like the kind of the douchebags. Like they were the best and they knew it. That was like, like I remember playing, I played, Buckle never would talk to me. So I like he hated me with a passion because I was this scrapper golfer. He was this flusher, ball striker, and I would just beat him every time. And he couldn't, he hated it. And I just, I just, for some reason, I just make everything when I played him and beat him. And then, Bowdo was another guy. I think I played in a, I played him in a in a interstate series. He beat me on the last hole. Like we he was one up one to play. I still remember this story. And Bowdo's the nicest guy, but I still give him crap about it. I hit it to like six feet 
he hits it to 15 feet and he makes it. So he wins the match effectively. And I'm sitting there and he makes me putt my six footer because he wants to beat me two up instead of one up, if you know what I mean. Like he wants me to miss it. So (laughs) I make the putt and then he doesn't shake my hand. And I was just laughing. I'm just like, (laughs) so you had that kind of camaraderie against the Queenslanders. Like we all get on great now, but then you got, you had the Victorians and they were always a little more posh than us. Like we were. Queenslanders were kind of the roughnecks. New South Wales were, I like to say, we were just the most standard sort of transplant of everyone. They're all the decent blokes. I'm going to cop a lot of crap for this. But (laughs) the Victorians are always good blokes, but they're a little posh. You know, I love their coffees and AFL. And then the WA guys were a tad strange. But And then Tasmania were just like, you know, loved getting drunk and, and strange. So it was kind of... They're just happy I to get off the island. South Australia as well. Yeah, so it was always like a massive party, you know, because we're all these 18, 19, 17-year-old kids and the end of it, there'd always be this massive, like, shit show of everyone just getting twisted, you know, <laughs> all sorts of carnage after a long week of golf. And But, uh, yeah, so it was kind of... If you... If you were to break it really down, like Queensland is kind of Florida yeah. as far as grasses and, and weather goes. And then New South Wales is, oh, best way to say would be like northeast-ish. And then in America, and then Melbourne is just, you can't even, as far as golf goes in Melbourne, you can't repl- replicate those golf courses. I think personally it's the best collection of golf courses in the world, like the Sand Belt. Um, I'm biased because I'm from Australia, but truly it's just you, you, whatever the best of the best grasses and weather and green, fast greens are, that's where it is. It's in Melbourne. So, you know, that's kind of the three different elements really of Australian golf. I'm going to ask one more thing and then I'll hand this over to Parks. Do you believe that Royal Melbourne should hold a WGC? Oh, it doesn't bother me really, honestly. Yeah, I really um, want them to. I, <laughs> I think I think the sand belt should or hold anywhere a in the WGC. sand belt. Yeah, hundred one hundred percent. I mean, you, you could do rotating one do, really. Yeah. yeah, all you had to do is watch uh, President's Cup and yeah. you see how good the golf was, and you know the best players won. Like you look at Tiger, and he just he played that place perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then you got the guys that played a little bit more aggressive, and they just get penalised. So it's kind of one of those places where you can't get away with nothing in Melbourne, or especially around rural Melbourne. Um, and that's what I love about there. It's like you know, you you can't you can't get lucky at all. So I want to see them play at the Metropolitan and see them putt it into the greens, or into, into putt it in and the into the bunkers. <laughs> God, I would love that. So, so when we were off air, you mentioned like home is Dallas now, and just fortunate enough to sit down and hear Crenshaw talk a little bit. You mentioned you know the state of Texas and the similarities to Australia. You know how you have all the different grasses and winds and you know grounds and all those different things would you say that's a fair analogy or is that sort of you know like as you get in west texas and places like that comparatively you know when you think texas you think very much windy golf courses where you are in dallas it's you know it's pretty lush there's lots of trees you know the further south you get you know it becomes very like atlanta southeast like i think a lot of people get sort of lost on you know the terrain, I guess, in Texas, would that be similar to Australia with some of the areas or, you know, is that just a little bit far-fetched, I guess? Oh, kind of. Um, The problem with Dallas is real grainy. 
obviously you the weather here just promotes Bermuda, um, not as much as Florida, but there's still a lot of bent greens in Dallas. But Trinity Forest is a course that's kind of similar to Australia, but it's not in, in saying that it's um, there's a lot of run on the fairways. The greens are really quick. But then there's still a lot of great grain. Like there's a lot of zoysia in um, in Dallas. In in Australia, there's a you're know, either New South Wales. There's a lot of cooch. There's a lot of bent. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of similar, I would say. It, it does you know without the coastal feeling that Australia gives you. You know, you always get that southerly breeze and the the air. It's you know you <laughs> you got to hit two or three extra clubs into the wind because it feels like you're hitting it into a wave. But it's, uh, yeah, it's a, Dallas is very, gets really windy, um, but also it's really grainy here. So it's... Um, and that was the comparative. Uh, the event was actually at Trinity Forest. And he was comparing, you know, the land and the terrain very similar to the sand belt down in, you know, Royal Melbourne in that area, you know, for Dallas. So that was kind of the analogy that they're making that you know, training yeah, for us outside of anywhere in North America, you know, you're not going to see this kind of grass and terrain, right? So hundred percent. Yeah. Trinity forest is really close to Australia. You've got the runoffs, the greens are really quick. Um, another event, well, another area or the course that I thought was really similar to Australia was the new PGA tour event. They had this, this year at Congaree. Um, I think that's how you say it. That yeah. reminded me of a Melbourne golf course, just looking at it on TV. I wasn't there. I had a lot of people tell me that. But, you know, you've got the bunkers that are there's, – there's no fairway in between. It's just green, then bunker, like short next to the green. So, you know, and then you get a lot of bunkers that roll back to the middle. Like a, a lot of things – something that frustrates me in America is greenside bunkers that don't – they just stay in the lip or they they – they don't roll to the center of the bunker. And then you've, you've often got like a thick patch of rough or fringe before the bunker and the green. And, and that's one thing I love about Australia is like, if you just off a little bit and you short side yourself in a bunker, it's going to roll down to the center of the bunker. Then you're looking at the tip of the pin and like firm compacted sand where you're like, well, I can't get this inside 20 feet. But a lot of the times playing in America, the balls sit in the upslope and you're like, well, I'm short-sighted, but this is an easy up and down because it's like it's going to be easy to stop it quick enough. So, um, yeah, you, you're very correct. The yeah, Trinity Forest is probably the closest course that, apart from Congaree, that's uh, to us to Australian golf. Amazing. I got to give a shout-out real quick to our friend Nick Saglanich, the Tequila Wanderer. He's the one that was instrumental in the connection. Got to know, how did you – did you draw a short straw? How did you get connected with Nick? Because he just sounds like an absolute maniac. Uh, yeah, he's he's exactly that. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> one of my one of my better buddies in Dallas. So the first time I met him was playing a junior tournament with him in Sydney when we were both like, I was like seventeen, he's like fourteen, and I think he, I don't know what he shot. Like he, true Nick form. He, you know, back then he he told me how good he was and then he i ended up looking for his ball day and he, i think he shot like 85 or something but it's uh it's funny because then i got on tour I like cut it cut it like 10 years later or 12 years later and i got on tour and went to this um random party at the w with my caddy um we were massively underdressed and it was some 
for model show, but it was like, hey, I'm playing the Byron. They were giving out tickets for this classy, you know, event. And I was like, yeah, why not? Let's go. And then, you know, I, I walk into this place and, of, of course, I get yelled at from across the pool and it's it's Nick and he's like suit jacket and he's loafers and I mean he know he knows how to dress this guy. Back then he was like living in a shoebox and hustling for you know dimes at uh, in bars and he's he's at this fashion show because because Nick knows everyone in town yeah. and then he just comes over to me and he's like telling me about that story and I'm like oh yeah sweet and then so yeah we met. He's he's hard to miss. He's uh you know six six or six four South African guy hits at three fifty, but also he'll tell you hits at three fifty to three seventy, <laughs> and then and then uh, yeah no nah, but he's thing, he's hilarious. He's a uh, he's a good buddy of mine. Um yeah he's 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 absolutely crazy. <laughs> you gotta appreciate a guy with a little shameless self solicitation every now and again. We heard all about it on the pod, so love to hear that you have the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I just give him crap about it all the time, and awesome. He, he often opens his wallet to me, so that's good as well. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. So we are going to finish off the show tonight with a fun segment we like to call the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. So I got ten skill testing questions. We've been we've spent all day filtering through your wikipedia contacting your friends relatives enemies exes we've deciphered this list of 10 questions skill testing questions i might add so do you oh, have no. a calculator handy? james nitties do you have a calculator handy i i don't do i need one not at all nah. you'd be no. good <laughs> Um, okay, I'm terrible if it's anything to do with maths or schoolwork. So all know. right, the guy only counts up to five. We'll take it easy. Reads at a grade grade five level. Plays <laughs> golf at a PGA Tour level. So that's all good. Uh, James Nitties, what did you have for breakfast today? Question number one. Uh, I had uh, a, a smoothie, four eggs, and like some sort of health, healthy bake that my girlfriend made. So that's oh, about this it. This guy's an athlete. Disgusting. <laughs> What's in the bag it's all right pre-made. now? Oh, it's pre-made. Okay, well, I don't yeah. Hate so that. it's easy. Slap it in the microwave. Bam. Done. Smile on your face. Walk out the door straight to the golf course. What's in the bag? What are you swinging right now? What kind of wrenches? Okay, so I, I would, I'm, I'm a lady of the night when it comes to my golf club choices. So McKent, Maverick, <laughs> Maverick driver, uh, Mizuno three wood, tail made M four five wood. Illegal. Uh, about to swap that out for a mizuno rescue i have a strixon driving iron those are so good so they are so good easiest club to hit ever it's just too easy um it's it's cheating and then uh five iron down to pitching wedge of the zx7 strixon irons then Titleist Vokey wedges, because I still get those for free, so that's good. Um, and then Odyssey putter, which is two-ball putter that's been in my bag for on and off for the last 15 years. Yeah, that came out just about the end of NOM, and I think anybody that picked one up still has it in the bag. So I'm going back to it next year if my spider goes cold. I'm telling you that right now. I miss it. <laughs> Don't tell I feel for the. I feel bad for the guy that invented it. And I think Pelts, Pelts he, didn't, he took the uh, – they offered him – I think ten cents royalty per putter sold, <laughs> or they gave him. I think it was two hundred and fifty or three hundred grand, like just straight up buyout 
and I think they've sold something like 30 or 40, 100 or 100 million, 120 million worldwide or something. Oh my god! Good deal. It's a most sold putter, and that's yeah, that's a true story. Now I don't know about the facts and the numbers, but it was something ridiculous. It's crazy. What kind of ball are you playing? Uh, two thousand seven twenty nine twenty nineteen Pro V One X. Nice, James. If you had a strip club, what would it be called? Oh, Etsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nitty's titties. <laughs> I was going to buy that domain for you, to be honest. <laughs> uh, that was the wrong. What was I looking for? Come for the titties, stay for the wings. Or show, show us your nitties, something like that. There you yeah. go. Okay, perfect. We were close. We were close. What's a warm-up l- routine look like for James Nitties? If you're going to play a competitive round of golf, are you pretty methodical? Do you have a, a process, or you just go bang driver and straight to the tee? Uh, these days, I have to warm up just because... The, uh, the back's not as young and flexible as it used to be, but probably 15 minutes kind of stretching, some dynamic sort of stuff, get the body going. And then probably about 45 minutes, I'll a typical run up through the set, hitting some, you know, all the clubs probably go, you know, hey, I don't know what everyone does, but I just sort of miss one club. If I'm hitting a lot of wedges, I'll hit a lot of wedges. If I'm hitting a lot of eight irons, you know, whatever course it is, I'll sort of tailor my warm up to it. And then, you know, 15 woods, including driver, and probably putt for about 15 minutes, get a bit of pace going, and, yeah, that's about it. So it's about an hour and a half probably before I tee it, I'll get to the golf course. Nice. like that. Anything specific that you would suggest to our listeners that if they really want to improve on something, this is something they should focus on in their warm-up routine? Is stretching more Uh, important than finding feel, finding pace? Just your pace. Pace with the putter. Um, one thing I don't do is hit a lot of 10 footers or eight footers. I don't, try not to build like bad confidence before I go out. So it's like a lot of pace parts, work on path a little bit, and then I'll just I'll tap in a couple of two footers before I go to the tee or whatever. And then yeah, on the range, not don't worry about your target too much. Just try to work on your shot shape or getting good contact so i try everything i do before i warm up is try not build up too much expectation so the amount of times i've played good when i've had a terrible range set range session you know it's you know and the amount of times you play bad when you have a great range session so just kind of just hit it and feel good and you know just get warmed up and and go instead of like worrying too much about being perfect before you go out that's probably i like that and you can always hammer down the echoes to uh you know, round out the game if it's if it's struggling. I guess maybe not in a competitive yeah. round, but are we talking? Are we talking uh, <laughs> sponsor? Some sponsor of the show? Yeah, have some echoes? Have to have to do that. I'm sure you've <laughs> indulged yourself. Nick is uh, shamelessly soliciting the uh, the echoes, so that's good. Yeah, in saying that, like my warm up, that was my tournament warm up. My playing with the boys warm up is, you know, a couple beers, slap, slap about six golf balls, and then straighten the cart and go and. Yeah. And, you know, Nick's Soglinich is usually a shotgun to start the round. So <laughs> that's uh, that's his move. All right. Question number five of the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. If you're playing with the boys, what's your snack at the turn look like? Are you going for the protein in a granola bar? Are you going for a pack of Siggies, hot dog, maybe a pint? Uh, yeah, if I'm playing with the boys, it's some sort of uh, weird concoction alcohol. And... I like to light up a cigar. It's usually about at the turn, get a cigar cranking, um, 
yeah, and then like a hot dog or a burger or something. It's it's totally different tournament round, but if it's with the boys, you got to get some substance for that back nine. <laughs> That's true. What's the cigar of choice out there? Uh, look, I'm I'm not really the uh, the <laughs> fine guy when it comes to cigars. So <laughs> Romeo, Romeo and Juliet's yes. usually not a bad play. Whatever light, just a little right. solid ten dollar cigar. Yeah, yeah, we like that. We like. Don't hate that. I like the great prime times, right? Little cigarellos. <laughs> Ooh, those are good too. <laughs> little tasty ones. Question number six of the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. We got to ask the cliche question: What is your dream foursome? You're the five ball. Four guys you want to play with: girls, friends, relatives, exes, whatever you want. Dead or alive? Oh, dream, dream foursome. Well, it used to be like just you know any three of the Victoria's Secret lineup. <laughs> yeah, yes. but this is a unique one. I like that. Then I realized. Then I re- then but golf. Oh, we're talking golf. golf. Okay. Um, yeah, not dream so, some in the bedroom. <laughs> if you, if you can parlay that on the course <laughs> yeah, into the bedroom, like, I don't that know, man. Well, my girlfriend's in the other room, so I didn't say that too loud. But uh, <laughs> we'll edit that. Yeah, let's. That would be a punish playing with uh, those birds. Like that'd be nice at all. But um, <laughs> yeah, probably just pretty standard. But I'd I'd have t- probably Tiger Woods. Um, Will Farrell. Oh yeah. That's okay. Not so standard. Uh, but that's nice. Who else? We'll, we'll throw in uh throw in, and throw in my old man. Cause I yeah. One more. Be... One more. We're gonna let you go five today. Not oh, much five. On, not much on the t- not much on the T sheet, so five is good. Uh probably um probably Federer. Yeah, I'd say Federer. Wow. Wow. Got yeah. some not comedy, not got some athlete. people say Phil. Which always rattles me because I'm like, if you have Tiger, wouldn't you want Phil? Like, give someone to chirp him at least. Tiger would be purely for me. Would be like to watch him. It'd be prime Tiger. Um, yeah, I just never played Tiger. with him. I've always been close to playing. But he'd be the he'd be the me to watch and like dream. Then you'd have like Federer because he just seems like a champion bloke, and then Farrell would just be hilarious. hilarious. And yeah. then you know so. Totally. Yeah, you wouldn't want post-car accident Tiger. We don't know what that looks like yet, but apparently he's been swinging the sticks, so. He's in rehab, apparently, so hopefully. Come back. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Favorite golf course. Maybe give us one in Canada, if you've ever been here. One in the U.S. and one globally. Oh, well. Tough. I played one tournament. I, I was in Nova Scotia. I can't remember what the course was called. Nice. But it's the only course I've played in Canada, so. <laughs> That's the one, then. Nova Scotia. Uh, David, might, David might know. Nova it. Scotia Golf. David, you know, when I was a <laughs> little, when I was ri- a little frisky little fella, and I was single, and we were uh, we played the Porter Cup. Um, we snuck over to Canada to a, a female establishment called Sundowner, and that was Sundowner. <laughs> pretty, pretty yes. memorable because like we're all these young whippersnappers, but we oh, we man. couldn't drink in America. But then as soon as we went across to Canada, we were like 19 and we could have a couple of beers. So that was a pretty fun event. That was a good course, I suppose, because you pair it with that. But, uh, yeah, haven't played a lot in Canada, so that's tough. Whatever that course in Nova Scotia was. And then um, America, an underrated course for me, like, is TPC Potomac, which is next door to Congressional. Um, I thought it was better than Congressional. I think it's a great, challenging golf course. That and Oakmont, if I was cheating, saying a couple of courses. And then in Australia, Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath are my two 
um, kind of like, I like Kicks and Heath is just an amazing course and, and Royal Melbourne just because of how good a condition it is. And so, yeah, that's that's probably my lineup. David, you are the authority on Texas. What's your take on his comments? Uh, uh, wait, so, congratulations on Texas. Oh, yeah, sorry. What's up? No, he's oh. saying TPC. Oh, but that one's on a Texas, though. Yeah, it's in Maryland. Oh, it's in Maryland? <laughs> Never mind. That was way Who's off. the Maryland <laughs> expert? Who's <laughs> also David. David's also the Maryland expert, obviously. Uh, so, quick question, though. Was that Porter Cup in 2000? Uh, it, no, it would have been I. It would have been two thousand one or two thousand two, I think. Uh, so maybe two thousand. Uh, Bill. All I can remember from that tournament is Bill Haas bogeyed the last to shoot sixty, and okay. I, I watched the shot. Uh, it was a par, a par three. I, I think it was a par three. He hit it straight over the pin. To shoot six in, I remember just being like, "That's ridiculous! This guy's amazing." So yeah, that's all. I, I, I played the Monroe the week before and did play the Porter Cup that week. And uh, my good friend Adam, he owns Niagara Falls Country Club, which is actually the eleven holes attached, basically on the back end of Sundowner. So oh, right. uh, <laughs> we met a bunch of friends there. We'll call it. But, yeah, yeah, I like friends. Anyways, but the Monroe, hey, yes, and the good Porter, times. Yeah. Scantily yeah. clad friends are always nice. All right, question some, number some nine. Caddies out there just looking for a, for a loop. <laughs> yeah, looking <laughs> Dance, for some, a loop. Whatever you want, something. <laughs> yeah. Question number nine: the rapid fire, not so rapid fire. It's my final question. Then I'm going to hand it over to Chris to close it out. What is the most Australian thing someone can say, Mister James Nitties? Oh, give us, yeah. give us oh, some yeah. slang. Oh, easily get a get a would have to be. G'day or mate are the two big most Australian. But that's, but as, as there's ways as to look at that though, because sometimes like <laughs> there could be like negative connotations to mate, where it's like if I call you mate, you know I don't like you, in certain instances, and you're like, God, how do I figure this out? It's like I remember like sitting yeah, jobs has to be like, Hey man, if I call you morning bro, I like you. If I look at this guy, hey, you're mate over there, it means I fucking hate this guy and I'm gonna kill him if you don't. Well, it's, yeah, it's different. <laughs> You know, it's like an Australian calling a guy buddy. Like, yeah, exactly. Listen, buddy. Listen, buddy. Like, I it's, need it's your pal. Very, so, yeah, if you, it's an Australian thing. I mean, oh, I, yeah. look, I once got I got a free burger at Wendy's when I first came here because a guy, he heard I was Australian. He's like, look, man, if you say that's not a knife, this is a knife over the loudspeaker, <laughs> I will give you a burger. I'm like, done. And I did it. So, like. <laughs> I got to say, anything that Crocodile Dundee said was pretty spot on Australian. He kind of paved the way for a lot of Australians to have fun in America. That's for sure. Shout out to Mick, Mick Dundee, <laughs> saving the day, Mister Chris, Christopher Diamond. Final question I, I'm gonna, of the day. I'm going to keep going with this Australian vibe here. P- name us, give us three things you miss the most about living, or not, not living in Australia, but just things that you miss getting from there. Getting like even like a meat beer. pie, meat pies. That's one thing I miss. For sure. Uh, yeah, meat pie. A lot of just a lot of the food, like a chicken schnitzel and chips. Like oh. it's just something you don't really get in America. Um, a solid, a solid beer that can mess you up, but doesn't taste like a bowl of soup. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else? Just beach. Pretty much everywhere you go, you're only like twenty minutes from beach, and like good beach, like all clear world. water. Yeah. Uh, 
while I go on about this too, just just quietly, I love America too. So there's things I miss <laughs> when I go home. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty. You know, family obviously is one of them. If I have to throw in the kosher answer, but that's pretty much good coffee everywhere. Like that, that's everywhere. The thing. That's the thing that killed me the most when I got back here. I was like, coffee culture sucks in North America. Yeah, it's it's getting better in America. Like it's now you can find good coffee. You just got to find it. But in Australia, you just walk into a gas station and you'll get good coffee. Like it's not that crazy, but it's sort of. They don't have Starbucks like in Australia or what? You never see Starbucks is <laughs> fucking trash. You get good, better coffee um, at Seven Eleven. Mm, yeah, good or McDonald's. fast food. Good fast food. Like our fast food, like our McDonald's has so much less ingredients than the McDonald's here. Like it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's just because you know there's, the FDA don't let you get away with as much in yeah. Australia. So yeah, they're way But just just good good crap food too. Yeah, love it. Hungry Jacks. Miss that. <laughs> Hungry Jacks. What? Are you a serial killer? That's <laughs> it's Burger King. It's just a good name. Oh, God. <laughs> Are you a serial killer? That's so good. Hey, they had good KFC. KFC is great in Australia. Oh, it's way better. It's real here. chicken. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's love terrible it. Here. Well, I got to say, it's been a pleasure to have you on tonight. Lots of fun. Can't wait to get down. We're hoping to get down to Texas sometime in October. Definitely going to link up, get some golf in. We'll try and do something fun. If we can combine a charitable component with the four jack and, and you guys will do something like that, maybe we'll, you know lay the groundwork for next year. But definitely look forward to meeting you in person and swinging the wrenches with you. Awesome, boys. That would be that'd be great. Definitely hit me up. I've had fun. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for, for jumping on with us, James. This was fun, and uh, we look forward to the next time you jump on with us. James. Hey, I'm here whenever you need me. Awesome. Been a pleasure, James. Thank you for chatting, sharing the sharing the good news of the world of, of Mr. Nitty's titties. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna steal that serial killer line. I'm using that tomorrow. Excellent, man. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, boys. Catch you later.